This morning, we are continuing our series in Advent, and we are following the candles of the Advent wreath. If you have been keeping up with the home game, it looks like this. We talked about hope. We talked about love. I know, shockers when you come to church. Who would talk about things like that? Well, today, we're going to talk about joy, and then next week, we've got peace. Pretty much rounds out the, the perfect holiday season, right? Uh, Christmas Eve will be at 6 p.m. here with candlelight service. So feel free to come here Christmas Eve, bring your friends. We're going to have uh, actually even more chairs available. So my challenge to us is uh, let's see if we can set off the smoke alarms at the candlelight service. The fire department is right there. It'd be a chance to meet new people. I'm just saying, you know. Uh, that'll be Hope Has a Name. And then on the 26th, which is the, the Sunday after Christmas Eve, we will not be meeting here. So you're welcome to come, but you're going to be by yourself basically. So... Uh, we will release a video at 9 o'clock on that Sunday, and that will be uh, Hope Is Here. So you can tune in as you normally do on Facebook. If you're watching right now, you know how to do that. It'll be on YouTube. We'll send out a link uh, in the e-news and online. So lots of ways that you can catch up. I also want to put a bug in your ear uh, for next week. I, I forgot to mention this during the announcements. Next week at 10 o'clock, we're going to have a special reception for Clayton and Leslie. If you haven't heard by now, uh, they are stepping down as our worship leader. Uh, I say that they because it, it really is both of them. I know Clayton is the employee, but Leslie, we love you and appreciate you, uh, everything that they've done. And uh, as you can see this morning, you know, I'm, I'm winding up in case it's just me. Um, <laughs> nobody wants that, at least of all me. So <laughs> be in prayer for, for Clayton and Leslie, be in prayer. We are hiring if you know anyone that uh, does that kind of thing. Put out the good word. For the month of January, uh, our good friend Andrew will be leading us in worship. Uh, if you've been here for a while, you know who Andrew is. And if you don't, come find out. He's a great guy. So uh, we appreciate that as well. As we prepare to go into today's sermon, though, I want to ask you a question. Uh, how do you define joy? What is joy to you? It's easy in a season like this when you go, go ahead. Happiness. Good. Anything else? See, Megan's been here long enough. She knows that I like to talk with you, not at you. So it's okay. to. This is one place it's okay to talk during the sermon. Okay, nobody else has joy. That's good. <laughs> Moving right along. Joy is happiness. We've got that. All right. So joy in this particular season is pretty easy to relate to because we have all these pictures of this peaceful night, the moonlight shining down on the manger, the cows swaying in rhythm to the Disney tune. That's just how it went down, folks. That's the way it was. Disney was there. That's how long they've been around. But in reality, it was a much different picture. It wasn't so peaceful. It wasn't a silent night. It wasn't the accommodations that Mary hoped for. It wasn't the journey that any pregnant woman at nine months would want to take. But it was all necessary. And it was all done. And I'm sure there was at some point where Mary said, Joseph, did you not check in with, you know, Travelogue and, and make a reservation? Seriously? Didn't you think this place would be crowded? And so they spent the night, uh, not just any night, they spent the night of our Lord's and Savior's birth in a manger. Now, does that sound like joy to you? Does that whole process even sound fun? Probably not. So there must be something about joy in the Bible that we're missing in our lives. Because in the midst of all of this, Mary has joy. 
And I'm not talking to that joy of, you know, finally the baby is born and, and moms, you know, when they place the baby there and, oh, this is so wonderful. And you instantly forget everything or you would never have another kid again. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about all the stuff leading up to that. And I think there's a lesson that we can learn from Mary about joy. Because joy isn't an external thing that depends on circumstances. Joy is directly connected to our relationship with God and his ability to work in and through us. So to experiment with that today, uh, I, I know that you may have a different version of joy. You may have joy that comes and goes. And, and let me say this up front. If you are a Christian and you don't feel joy all the time, that does not make you a heathen. Right? It makes you human. So we all have our moments where we feel joyful and where we don't. That, that's not the point. The point this morning is to point away towards a joy that is everlasting and a joy that will never fail us. You know what I'm talking about because sometimes joy is not there. Sometimes joy gets stolen. It maybe gets stolen by a, a relationship that you thought was solid but crumbles. Maybe your joy gets stolen by a medical diagnosis that you weren't expecting. Maybe your joy gets stolen because your identity or your job, or maybe those two are tied together, goes away, and you weren't expecting that. That's not a time when most people experience joy. I don't see any Christians at that point going, joy, I got fired. Joy, I got laid off. Joy, I got diagnosed. We don't say that. But is there a source that will support us in all of that? I think there is, and I think Mary is one of the best examples. What I want to do this morning is, is not so much talk about the birth, but talk about the setup to all of this, because to understand what happens at the birth, we have to go back to the visit of angel Gabriel and the news that he brought to Mary and her reaction to that, because that holds the secret to joy. If you're playing along in the home game here, uh, let, me, let me first say this before we get to the Bible. This is a definition of Christian joy by a Christian author named Mel Walker. <clears throat> and here's what the, the, the Christian, the biblical version of joy is this. <clears throat> biblical joy is choosing to respond to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction. Let me pause there for just a second because we just talked about this. It's not what's on the outside. It's what's on the inside. It's what's the, the relationship between me and God that begins to affect the outside. And we've talked about that, but here's, here's why I want this quote, because it continues on. So it's responding to external circumstances with inner contentment and satisfaction because we know that God will use these experiences to accomplish his work in and through our lives. Get laid off? God can work in and through that. Get fired? God can work in and through that. Get a medical diagnosis you weren't expecting. God can work in and through that. Have a relationship that is crumbled. God can work in and through that. That's joy. So let's go to the Bible. Luke chapter 1, if you're playing the home game, we're going to start at verse 39 and go through 55. If you're uh, familiar with this, this is Mary's song, or if you're from a Catholic background, Mary's Magnificat, uh, Magnificat Latin for uh, magnify, my soul magnifies the Lord. So here we go. 
Let's listen uh, as we prepare to hear this word. At this time, Mary uh, knows nothing about what's going on. She is told that she will have a child by the angel Gabriel. She asks how this is possible, but she basically says at the end of the day, I'm in. And this is where the story picks up. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel to remember to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. These are the words of God, and they are for the people of God. And for these words, we are grateful. If you're not familiar with the relationship between Mary and Elizabeth, they're cousins. Elizabeth is much older. Mary is much younger. Elizabeth doesn't live where Mary lives. And as Mary comes to visit Elizabeth, the baby in Elizabeth's womb jumps and leaps for joy. That baby's name will be John. You may know him as John the Baptist. So immediately as Mary's presence comes near Elizabeth, John the Baptist, while still in the womb, leaps for joy. What is it with these people in joy? Did, did none of them understand what was going on here? Did John not understand that this message that he would bring would get him killed? Did Jesus not understand what he was going to be put into? A, a horrible death. I'm pretty sure he knew. Did Mary not understand that this boy that would be born would be torn away from her? That she would question his sanity at one point and then watch him die? Did they not understand what was going on? Or did they accept what was going on as part of God's plan? It's a hard thing to get our heads around, isn't it? It's a very hard thing to get our heads around. But in spite of all of this, we hear these words that my soul glorifies the Lord, my spirit rejoices. I have joy in this. So there must be something that Mary is doing that we don't latch onto on a daily basis. How is it that she can rejoice in this? And I'm not saying be happy. I'm not saying put on the fake smile and pretend that everything's okay because it's not. What I'm saying is we have to tap into something other than the surface if we're going to get what joy means. So as we pour through this, I just want to point out a, a couple of things. As we look at Mary's prayer, I want you to understand that as you read this, as we read this today, it's like, oh, that's a, that's a nice prayer. That's a nice song. But I want you to understand that Mary is scripture-saturated. 
That's just a fancy way of saying that she knew her story. Now, last week I talked about how we, we need to do more than we need to know. Like if, if everybody just did what they already know, we would be way ahead in the kingdom of God. Sometimes we don't do enough. And you may have heard that to, for me to say, so there's no point in knowing stuff, we just do stuff. Or there's no point in memorizing scripture. That, I never said that, for the record. Go back and, and look at the tape. Do they say tape these days? I don't know. Whatever. Go back and look at the Facebook, right? No, the point is, if your scripture saturated, if this governs your life, if this is a part of who you are, then you will do what is pleasing and acceptable in his sight. You will do the right thing. Even if nobody else is, you will do the right thing. Scripture saturated. As you look at this prayer, if you want a, a, a hint at how well Scripture saturated Mary is, go back to the book of 1 Samuel. Uh, I think it's chapter 1, verse 2 through 10. I think I wrote that down so I could tell you for sure. Yes. So uh, go back and read that first Samuel. There's a, a woman named Hannah that prays for a boy. And she promises that if God would just give her this boy, that he would give this boy to the, to the Lord. He would dedicate him to the temple. Anybody know that boy's name? Samuel. Samuel the prophet. Now, we know him today, but that was a big deal back then. And her prayer is a lot like Mary's prayer, which leads me to believe that Mary probably knew Hannah's story and knew that while many things may happen in life that don't make sense or may be scary, quite frankly, that God is yet in control. God's plan won't be thwarted, not by circumstances, not by human plans, not by our might, not by our wealth, not even by our inactivity. God's plans will not be thwarted. Mary knows this. And, and she knows this because she is scripture-saturated. She has seen what God can do. So the first thing that I would recommend as we prepare ourselves for joy is to become scripture-saturated. It's as easy as can be. Did you realize that this book that I hold in my hands and I read from every week is the best-selling book in the world? You, yeah, praise God is right. Because there's a lot of other stuff that's really not worth reading. This is the best-seller in the world, but is it the best-read book in the world? See, that's the question. If we're not scripture-saturated, it doesn't do any good. It's a great doorstop. It looks good on the bookshelf. But if it's not in our hearts, is it really doing what it's meant to do? So my challenge to you this Christmas, this Advent season, word serve, is to become scripture-saturated. We all have phones. You, you can read it on the phone. There's really no reason that we can't put scripture in our lives. So my challenge to you, word serve, is for the rest of Advent, Open that Bible every day. Read something. Read something meaningful. You can sign up for devotions. You can do other things, but become Scripture-saturated. Because in your moment of need, in that moment of crisis, if you are Scripture-saturated, that's what comes out of you. That's what guides you, just as it guided Mary. The second thing that Mary is is kingdom-focused. It's not about Mary. I don't know if you realize this, but there's, it's not about us. It's about God's kingdom. She is willing to do whatever it takes to advance his kingdom, even over her own life. I don't know if you're familiar with the customs of the time, but here's what Mary was up against, and she surely knew this. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. Now, she wasn't married. She was betrothed. Now, what does that mean? In that culture, 
there's two things that you didn't do. You didn't have babies unless you're married. And you sure didn't have babies if you were betrothed because the deal was this period of betrothal was a contract. You, in essence, were married to this person. You just weren't married yet. It was a promise that at the end of this betrothal, you would become married. And the last thing that you wanted to do is have a baby that, oh, wasn't his. See, this is the grown-up version of the story that we gloss over in the kids' moments. And do you know what the penalty for that was in that time? Potentially stoning. You remember the story of the woman caught in adultery where they drug out to Jesus and they wanted him to, to pronounce the sentence so they could stone her? This is what Mary's facing. And while it sounds like, oh, this idyllic vacation, she's, gonna, she's just found out she's going to have this child and she's going to go visit her cousin Elizabeth in the Judean hill country, that sounds very idyllic. But you know what I think? I think Mary had to get out of town. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea. Why? Maybe because people were looking to stone her. Mary knows this. And she says, I am your servant. I'll do whatever it takes to advance the kingdom over even my own life because I trust you. Do you all realize that the verse that the Moors read for us this morning is invasion language? It sounds really great. You know, oh, make, make straight the way of the Lord. Raise up the valleys. Break down the mountains. That's invasion language, folks, from the Old Testament. Because back in the day, they didn't have airlift. Pause for dramatic effect. Nobody cares, all right? But they didn't have airlift, so they had to walk everywhere they went. And if you're traipsing a big army through the country, you don't want to be tangled up and delayed because then you can get attacked. So what do you do? You send engineers in advance, and you make straight the way for invasion so that your army can move speedily without delay, not get caught and do what armies do, invade. So when John the Baptist is the voice in the wilderness saying, make straight the way of the Lord. This is invasion language, folks. This is war. Now, it's not war like we think of war. It's not like I'm going to come and kill everybody. It's not violence. This is a war that is not of the flesh. This is a war of powers and principalities. This is a war that's fought with weapons of grace and forgiveness and love and truth. This is the war that's coming. And this is the commander that's coming to lead it, by example, by the way. So Mary is willing to do whatever it takes. I equate this to that soldier that is told to, hey, we need you to take that hill and charge that machine gun nest. Now I can see that going down one of two ways. One way would be, you know, that just really doesn't work for me. I got plans. I've got things I want to do, so no, I'm not going to charge the machine gun nest. That's one way. The other way would be, yes, sir, and make it happen. Which one do you think preserves the ideal of that society? Look at D-Day. Go watch Saving Private Ryan or one of the other movies like that. It's people who are devoted to some greater ideal that make the greater ideal a reality. And this is Mary. She's the soldier that says, whatever you need, I will do. I wonder if we have that kind of courage. The last thing that I know about Mary's prayer is that she has trust and hope. And I I suspect it's because she is so scripture-saturated, she has seen what God has done throughout the ages. That builds trust. But she's also seen what God's promises is because as you read through her prayer, 
you see the great reversal. The proud are brought low. The humble are raised up. The rich are turned away empty. The hungry are filled. The powerful are made powerless so that the humble can be exalted. She's seen this, and this is her hope. And there is a promise to Abraham that will be fulfilled. She knows this. This is her trust and her hope. So, word serve, as we prepare ourselves for the arrival of this Messiah, I, I want to encourage you to prepare yourself for joy. Become scripture-saturated. Be kingdom-focused. Trust and hope in the one who will never let us down. Now, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know what circumstances you're up against. I don't know what challenges you face. But I do know this, that the God of joy can take whatever we have and use it for his good and for his kingdom. As you prepare for joy, there's just one last step that we need to take. When it's time, you have to step up to the plate. Otherwise, you're not playing the game. And if you don't play the game, you don't get the thrill of victory. You don't get real joy. Will you pray with me, please? God Almighty, we thank you for Mary. We thank you for her willingness to be your servant, to do whatever it takes to further your kingdom. And God, I pray this morning that we would do the same. Put in our hearts a desire to build your kingdom. Help us to read your word and not just hear it or feel it intellectually, but to live it. God, we pray this for your glory and for your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.